going to be in Luke chapter 23. We're going to uh, take a little detour here for a number of Sundays. We're about three quarters of the way through considering the different commands of the Lord uh, given to us when he asked us to teach and observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. But what I want to do is uh, as Easter is approaching and in, even after Easter, I want us to uh, take some time and look at the seven different sayings that Christ spoke from the cross during that uh, time. In um, Luke chapter 23, we have the very first of the sayings, and uh, and and I in Luke chapter 23 we also have the second saying and the last saying, but. I'm going to give him to you in chronological order. And the first thing he said begins, we'll begin reading in 26 and then we'll stop at 34. Luke 23 and verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people, of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming, in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say unto the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there are also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And so there in the 34th verse, we have Jesus first saying from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The saints, as you were going to look at them, you'll find out that they are very short, but very, very packed full of meaning. And... Uh, what I desire to happen as we go through these, that we might not just know about Christ, but we might know him, not just for salvation, but as Paul said, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that our lives might experience him. And, and I think that as we note these sayings from the cross, we're going to receive some information given to us there that really uh, opens up to us the uh, heart of the Lord. Death by crucifixion was a horrible death. The Romans in conquering the nations wanted them to understand that Rome was not going to tolerate uh, the violation of their law. Rome had taken what had started by the Persians and perfected it, and it is uh, arguably the most painful and torturous death ever invented by mankind. In fact, it was so painful uh, that a new word was created to describe it, and it's a word that we even have in our English language, and it's the word excruciating. 
excruciating contains the word crucified there, a, a, a root of it, and it uh, means, excruciating means out or from the cross. Cicero, who was a Roman citizen, and uh, you need to know that Rome would not allow, it was against the law to crucify any Roman citizen, but Cicero said, it's the most cruel and shameful of all punishments. Not only was it very painful, but it was very humbling in that the victim was crucified naked. <coughs> death by crucifixion was a slow death of asphyxiation. They would hang him on the cross, nail their hands and their feet. And what was happening, it wasn't the pain of the cross that killed them, but as they hang there, the pictorial muscles in the chest would begin to be strained. And you couldn't take a deep breath. The only way you could take a deep breath was to push up for, off, off the feet and relieve the pressure on the chest. And then uh, you could uh, breathe in. And so they're always struggling for breath. And, and because of the way that this, this was, that people would live for a long time. In fact, there's a record of that one man lived on the cross for nine days pushing up and trying to breathe. And, and that's one of the reasons, you remember, that when they came by, uh, that they broke the legs of the two thieves, but when they came to Christ, they didn't break his leg because he had already died. But why did they break his legs, their legs? Because when they broke their legs, they couldn't push up anymore, and they would die quicker by asphyxiation. And so constantly, a pushing up, constant pain upon the cross. The back would be rubbing against the cross and the pain of the nails in the, in the hands and in the feet would be terrible. Because it's a sort, uh, it's a, a breath there is very uh, hard to get, we don't find Jesus hanging on the cross and, and preaching a long message. But we find him in that those hours that he was on the cross, just these short sayings. Let me, let me just give them to you without asking you to turn to them, but the first is here, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second is what he spoke to the thief on the cross. He said, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Then he looked upon John, and there with his mother, and he said, woman, behold thy son. And then he said to John, behold thy mother. And as we get to that, we'll see that uh, John took Mary and even took her away from the scene, uh, not forcing her or not allowing her to see him die. He's going to cry out, Eli, Lee, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, which is, which is um, heart rendering and if we can't be touched by what, what was said there, then uh, we can't be touched. And he said, I thirst. He said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And so this morning, we're going to look at Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's look at the love found within this. No doubt when people went and observed the capital punishment by the Romans, they often heard some very vile words. But here, at least from the one in the middle, there's no swearing or cussing or any vile words. It's interesting, uh, remember a number of years ago that Mel Gibson, uh, he uh, made the movie The Passion and you have to understand Mel Gibson was a Catholic and a lot of that in that passion was in scriptural. But in the filming of that, they had this scene where, where uh, the actor that played Christ was being whipped as Christ was whipped. And somehow the, 
the, the props of the movie had slipped a little bit. And when they hit, uh, hit the back of the actor, the one actor uh, using the whip, hit, hit, hit the back of the actor, it wasn't protecting and it got his shoulder. And when that happened, he turned around and he cussed out that other actor with some of the vilest of words. And it was only a simulation, you know, it was only uh, acting uh, in a realistic way. But I'm saying to you that just to hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them, there's something that's going to be uh, awakening to the crowd uh, around there. They, they uh, didn't hear any swear words. And then also, a note there, the word then in verse uh, 23, 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. Let's think about what the word then comes after. It came after Jesus being in the garden and a traitor's kiss of Judas. And they violently seize him in the garden and they take him away. The word then comes after the unjustly accusations, the unlawful trial that took place at night and many different things that were unlawful. He was condemned without a shred of evidence. There was no two witnesses that agreed, yet he's condemned. This came after the Sanhedrin condemned him and the soldiers strip him of the garment that he had and put upon the robe and they slapped him. They slugged him. They spit in his face. And the Bible says that, that he was more marred than any man. He didn't react in anger. He didn't cuss them. He didn't condemn them. A normal man would react it in anger. Yet, uh, this is not a normal man. This is God in the flesh, all man. He, 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 he suffered as any man, all man, but also all God. These words came after he was taken by the Roman soldiers and tied to a post and scourged with a cruel whip. And history tells us that over half the people that were scourged died before they could even get to the cross. It was a cruel and unusual punishment. These words came after some depraved mind inspired by Satan, went out gathered a bunch of long thorns and wove them into a circle. And it was taken and rammed down upon his head to make it look like a crown. And they mocked him. Hell, King of the Jews. Hell, King of the Jews. These words, my Father, forgive them, came after they stripped him of his clothes. All the pictures of the crucifixion are very uh, generic and very uh, discreet. But a person crucified was crucified naked. Here's the altogether lovely one the Rose of Sharon, our Savior, was displayed naked before those that were there. And then they nail him to the cross. When we think about that, then our minds may turn to Romans, where it says that God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. Also, you see here that he said, Father, forgive them before he spoke comfort to his mother and put John in charge of her, thinking of others first. He said, Father, forgive them before he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, Father, forgive them before he said, I thirst. All of this, these words here, put before his own personal comfort, his own personal concern for his mother. Many of those that stood there were the same ones on the triumphal entry. They cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were praising him coming into the, Hosanna to the king as he entered into Jerusalem just uh, three days before. But now they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. So let's not forget that Isaiah says, um, all we like sheep had gone astray and we turn everyone to his own will and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was there to make a payment for sin and that this prayer could be truly fulfilled and answered because uh, sin was paid for. But also think about just the atrocity of these uh, fickle ones that cried out Hosanna and now are crying, crucify him and crucify him. And let us uh, drink in deeply that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All of it. And if that's true, that he can forgive all sin, then how can we wrestle with Ephesians 4.32 when it says, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We are without excuse when we won't forgive others. Now, before we go too quickly here, let's really note this word forgive. It's very rich in its meaning. To forgive expresses the idea of letting go of a debt, of not demanding a payment, he, he was asking that it would be paid. But you see, God being God, and God being a just God, and a holy God, cannot just overlook sin. And so Corinthians reminds us that for he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The wages of sin had to be paid. Isaiah says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, that chastised our peace upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6 is one of my favorite verses, especially when dealing with those who question the atonement of Christ and how much it applied. But if you look at Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. And who does that apply to? Well, it doesn't apply to just a certain elect, but it applies to all people. And then he goes on and says, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The all at the first of the verse and the all at the last of the verse are the same. Jesus Christ's death applied to all mankind. That we can, can uh, with great confidence tell a person that Jesus Christ died for you. I remember a number of years ago, a man, a preacher, friend, uh, well, acquaintance that I knew in Anchorage, he, uh, in his older age, turned to the Calvinist doctrine of, of uh, Calvinism, and he sat in my office, and he said, Brother Humphrey, let me tell you one thing that I don't do anymore. I don't tell anybody that Jesus loves them because I don't know if he does or not. I don't know if he elected them to be saved. Well, it doesn't matter what his thinking, whether he knows or not because of his thinking and because his philosophy, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world is the world. And here, all in all. And so, it means to let go of a debt. But also, 14 times this, this Greek word, in translated into English and, and in the context, it's, it's, it's translated, suffer it to be, allow it to be. And so, in that sense, the Lord is saying, Father, permit them, do not hinder them to, from doing this to me. Though he could have called uh, 12 legions of angels, uh, he didn't. And so I kind of picture in my own mind that here he's on the cross, and as he looks to heaven, uh, here are the legions of angels. The legion could be up to 2,000 angels. And uh, they're there waiting, just simply waiting for a command to come. And they could have taken him off the cross and dealt with those who were crucifying him. But he says, no, let it happen. I want to show you an interesting verse in relationship to the angels and the crucifixion. If you go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, this discussion is salvation, and he says, Of which salvation the prophets, having inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied the grace that should come unto you. And so he's saying that, that this salvation, the prophets, they searched into that. They, they, every verse that refers Christ's death, they searched that out. They were trying to get a grasp of how God could die for man. And he says, searching what or what manner of times the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And so surely that involves Psalm 22 where it begins with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Surely, Isaiah chapter 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. They were looking into those. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And so he says, not only did they search into it, but we've searched into it and we preach it. And then note these words. Which things... 
What things? Well, the things concerning Christ and his dying. Which things the angels desire to look into? You see, the angels were well acquainted with God and his sovereignty, his quickly obeying him. They did when he told them to go and do something. And I think that they struggled with how could, how could God die for what he created? Try to understand his love. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so not only does it mean to let it go, but it means suffer it to be. He was going to drink of all the cup of suffering. Don't hinder them. Permit me to be crucified. Acknowledging that they weren't taking his life, but he was laying it down. And then I think also we see in this verse that it wasn't just for those at, at the foot of the cross. But it was for mankind. But God commanded his love towards us. That us includes me and you. And that while we were yet sinners, him seeing in the future, Christ died for us. On that day, when Rome would perform capital punishment, they would put on the cross the charge of why he was condemned. And actually, though, they wrote the king of the Jews, and the, and the Jews wanted him to come back and ask Pilate to change it. Say it that he said he was king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, what I've written, I've written. Not even knowing that he was verifying scripture that he truly was the king of the Jews. But a more and a greater sign could have been put there. Lying and stealing and murder and adultery and evil thoughts and unbelief. Because as we said, all we like our sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sins that were being dealt with at Calvary. Were yours. The payment for the sins at Calvary was a payment for my sin. Now notice he says here in verse 34, for they know not what they do. That's interesting in a number of ways and we'll look at it, but first of all, Sin is sin, whether you know it or not, or know the immensity of it or not. They don't know what they're doing. They, they know not what they do. The, the sin must be judged whether we have understood the, the immensity of it or not. It's not the wages of the worst sin, but it's the wages of sin is death for all sin. But in this case here, I think it was more of a case that, not that they didn't know what they were doing, but they didn't understand the enormity of what they were doing. 
Caiaphas knew that he'd resorted to bribery and illegal tricks to bring Jesus into his trap. And the chief priests knew that they had brought false accusations against him. And remember, even, even uh, the accusations that were brought before the Sanhedrin were quite different than the accusations brought before Pilate. They knew Pilate wasn't going to care a hill of beans about their religion and the problems they're having. But when they came before Pilate, uh, they accused him of, of being an insurrectionist, that he stood against Rome, that he opposes Rome. And so many different false things happening. Pilate struggled with the fact that of here he is, this, the Jewish nation, Israel, they were a bunch of, <laughs> they were a bunch of rabble-rousers. They didn't like Rome being there. Even when, they, even when they marched down the street holding up the Roman eagle at the head of the, the, the legion, uh, they saw that as, as uh, idol worship. Everything about Rome being there irritated them, taxing them and the different things. And, and Pilate was in a hot spot. And you see, whenever, whenever things didn't go well in an occupied country, the leader of the country got called home. And sometimes it was brought home to crucifixion, or not crucifixion, but death, or to be demoted, <laughs> sent to Siberia, if, if you want to say something like that. But, and so he walked, a, he walked a fine road there, and. And he uh, caved in. He said, I find no fault in him. And they said, if you're, if you're a friend of his, you're not a friend of Rome. And so he was, he was being put on the hot spot. And Pilate knew that he was innocent. And even Pilate's wife had a dream that he was an innocent person. The soldiers knew he didn't deserve the fate he had. And one of the soldiers at the cross said, never a man spoke like this man. The crowd, they knew. When he says, therefore they know not what they do. Well, the crowd knew that they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The crowd knew that they all was voting to release Barabbas and not Jesus. The crowd knew that they had said as a group, maybe one as a spokesman, but as a group in agreeing, let his blood be upon us and our children. And so in that sense, they knew what they were doing. But they didn't know the seriousness of rejecting Christ. Let's go in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, at verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. It's either through Jesus Christ or there's no sacrifice. So what is the outcome to those who choose not to choose or choose to reject? What is those that sin willfully, implying that it's not ignorantly, but they're willfully ignorant? 
It says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but what remains? But of certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries, judgment and fiery indignation, furious wrath, that God, as the Romans, uh, John chapter 336, but the wrath of God abideth on them, and the wrath of God is going to fall upon these individuals that willfully reject Christ. Of how much sore, you see, um, uh, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation which devoured the adversaries. And he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And so we know that you couldn't be just accused by one, but there had to be more than one that saw the crime. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So he says here that in rejecting the Lord, here's what we're doing. We're knocking down God's uh, favored son and we're walking on him I have eight children and if we were someplace and there was a row going on and even one of them got knocked down and then they started kicking them and walking on top of them the whole eastern Oregon redneck would come out and he says that to reject him, as these people did at the cross, is to, is to trodden, trodden on the Son of God, trodden underfoot, and count the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing that the blood of Jesus Christ is considered something horrible. And you and I both know that, that uh, the song books have passed, the hymn books have passed, that uh, many of the old hymns, that, the, that blood was taken out of them. And that there's those today that say, uh, uh, it's not the blood of the Christ, but it's the death of Christ. Well, we know that you, to lose your blood, <laughs> the life of the flesh is in the blood, Leviticus tells us. And to lose your blood, you're going to die. But it wasn't just his death. The, blood of Jesus, the Bible says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That the sacrificial examples of the Old Testament was contained the shedding of blood and the application of blood. And when they left Egypt, they had to apply the blood. And our trust is in the death of Christ and the blood that is seen by God as a payment for sin. So they counted the blood an unholy thing and have done despite unto the spirit of grace. What does that mean? Well, the Spirit of God is sent into the world to reprove the world. John 16 says the Spirit comes to reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And so, as an unsaved man, I come to church and, and I hear the preaching and the Spirit of God begins to deal with me and, and I say, you know what? That, that place is full of demons. They were dealing with me about, about stuff and and to say that the Spirit of God drawing you is not God, but it's something else, some evil.
And so what he's trying to say here in Hebrews is that uh, how much sore punishment his blood is precious and not ugly and to do despite to the spirit means that we insult him. Have you ever thought of how privileged we were and are when the Spirit of God said, hey, what you heard's right. You need to do business with God. What you heard is you need a Savior. You need to repent as he draws us and speaks to our heart. Do you understand? <laughs> uh, do we really understand that the one who merely said, let there be light and there is light and created all this vast universe has personally came to Gene Humphrey as a 13-year-old boy in a little town called Fossil in Oregon. Insignificant. But he came to speak to my heart. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do we understand? If you're here lost this morning, do you understand the significance of rejecting God? Now, it's a serious thing as we seek to reject the Lord. Now, did his request, did his request, was it answered? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But before we look at that, why did he say, Father, forgive them, and he not forgive them? Just previous to this, the man who was sick of the palsy came to him and Jesus said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He had said to the woman weeping in Simon's house, Thy sins are forgiven. Yet now, he says, Father, forgive them. And we find in the Bible that only God can forgive sins, right? Okay, is Jesus God or not? Why did he not forgive sins? Well, let's go back to Isaiah 53 and I think we find a clear answer. Isaiah 53. In verse 3, he despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, and we did as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, that he's bearing our sin. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before his shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. Why didn't he speak up? Why didn't he defend himself? Well, because he stood there, hung there in my place. 
business somewhere nothing to say. I had no defense. And so he was representing our sin. And he says, um, in the last, um, last verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He fulfilled prophecy. He's numbered with them. He's no longer numbered with the host of heaven. He's hanging there on the cross. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse. He was wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquities. And so why did he ask God to forgive them, God the Father? Because he, was, he represented sin. He no longer was the intercessor, but he prayed for intercession. And so did those who stood before him have forgiveness? Were all those at the foot of the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, this is where a lot of the false teaching comes to, but the Bible tells us that there's not a blanket forgiveness. The Bible tells us that, that if he repent, he's, he's, in Luke 17, he's talking about problems between a brother, two brothers. But take heed to yourself, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Acts says, repent ye therefore and be converted, and your sins shall be blotted out. What I'm getting at here is this, is that when there is no repentance, and a call upon God to change your heart, and... Uh, in uh, uh, Jeremiah it says, Lord, turn thou me and I shall be turned. Jeremiah gives the point across that what repentance is. Repentance is a desire to, to leave where you're at and go someplace else. It's a desire to leave your sin and your sinful lifestyle and, and live a godly lifestyle. But it's also the understanding that I can't turn myself. But the desire has to be there, and the power of God to do that it has to be uh, tapped into. And so, if there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. But were people saved? Well, yeah. Uh, a number of people were saved after he had died on the cross. It behooved him to suffer, to rise from the dead, and the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, in name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That very hour, the thief went to paradise. That very day, the centurion said, surely this was the Son of God. Some 50 days later, Peter preached the significance of this of death and 3,000 souls were saved. Later, the Bible says a great number of priests believed. And down throughout the ages, men have been saved and born again. And this prayer is still in effect today. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Many, though I was saved at 13 years old, there were many a Sunday and many a week that I had sinned against God and rejected Him and the Spirit of God continued to deal with me and Jesus' prayer at the cross was answered when I repented of my sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want you to take home today that uh, when Jesus hung from the cross and he's in tremendous pain, it's excruciating. His thoughts did not go toward when he would be united with his father. His thoughts did not go toward his own personal thirst until later. His thoughts did not go towards his mother. 
but his thoughts went towards a people who were sinners. And he desired that we might receive forgiveness. And our sins would be removed as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest sea. And the songwriter says, oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. Let's pray. Father, I know as I travel through this world and day-to-day activities that I uh, take you for granted. Lord, forgive me for that. Help me to, in some way, uh, be worthy of what you did for me, and I know I'm never going to be worthy, but Lord, to live a life that would be pleasing to you. Lord, thank you for your willingness to die in my place. May our days be lived in the knowledge of that and the joy of the Lord would be our strength as we face uncertain times. Lord, uh, may you tenderize our hearts and in this world where there's much evil and may our hearts not grow hardened. May we realize that you not only saved us from our sin, but you're coming again and that we're going to be heirs and joint heirs with you. Father, we could go on all morning speaking of the benefits that we have in knowing you. I simply say to you that uh, I love you. <laughs>